0: Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative, biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. I was teaching on Daniel 3 this past Sunday evening regarding specifically Daniel's three young friends, and their having to stand before King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, accused of not bowing or worshiping the image that he had set up. And I was amazed at their resoluteness in the face of imminent danger. And that danger, of course, was the threat leveled by Nebuchadnezzar to throw all three of them into the fiery furnace as a form of execution for their unwillingness to follow his mandate. Now, what gave the men that ability to seem unconcerned with Nebuchadnezzar's threats, even though they clearly realized he wouldn't hesitate to follow through with those threats? Well, their demeanor in the face of a painful death stands out to me. They were seemingly unafraid. They not only did not cower in the face of their impending death, but they seemed to fully embrace it in their response to the king. They were completely given over to God and his will for them, whatever that meant. They seemed to understand that one way or another, they would be tossed into the fiery furnace. And it was completely God's choice as to what he would do In response to that, as we see in Daniel 3, verses 16 and 17 and 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You know, it's funny. I consider their words and I I marvel. Would I, in that very same situation, do the same thing they did? Would I have that much confidence in God and his will? Would I seemingly not even consider my own life to save it, but instead give myself over to the Father and the perfection of his will? So I, saw, I thought about those three young men, their demeanor and their response. I looked again at the confidence in which they spoke, not being rude or disrespectful, but clearly placing a far higher allegiance on being faithful to God than doing something that would save their physical lives but potentially ruin their relationship with Jehovah. In our modern day, it's a bit mind-boggling to consider being faced with something like this, And setting the danger aside to see the greater goal, that of loving God more than life itself. How exactly did those three young men do that? Well, we can certainly assume that God gave them strength and courage to face what they would ultimately face with no foreknown awareness of how God would respond, right? Would they die? Would God save them without harm? Well, they had no clue, but they were mentally prepared for either according to the text. And then it began to dawn on me. There was something within them that created a strong foundation which made their hearts and will toward God immovable. And because of that foundation, they faced King Nebuchadnezzar and his challenge to them with aplomb and resoluteness and security. They had only one response and knew of only one direction they could go. The other option was not even considered. It told me that the men had a palpable fear of offending the Lord. Now, Psalm 147, 10 and 11 speaks to this. Quote, he does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Psalm 147 in its entirety is beautifully written. It opens by expressing how good God is and how we should spend our time in abject praise of and to him for all of his wonderful blessings. Now, many of these blessings we fail to see because we don't actively look for them. We need to be a people of praise, deeply considering exactly what God has done for us. Whether it is salvation itself or the many blessings he pours on our lives throughout each day, he is worthy of our praise. Now, unfortunately for many, and myself, I'm including myself there, we probably do not praise or consider him enough. As for me, I know that I don't wear myself out, as it were, praising him for what he provides for me on on just a daily basis. I need to be more aware and more involved in deliberate praise. Psalm 147 verse 8 begins to break down actual things that we should praise him for and take to heart. He provides rain so that plants will grow. He uses that grown grass and other plants to feed the animals. All the animal has to do is look for it and eat it. God cares for his creation and the weather points us to him. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air are all fed by God's hand. How much more does he care about people who have been created in his image? But focus on verses 10 and 11 that I've listed above. There's something in there that speaks or should to our hearts and minds. Notice the psalmist lists several things that do not impress God, as I've already mentioned. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. Hmm. You know, I'm blessed to live in the country. And as I drive through many dirt roads, I see cows, goats, chickens, sheep, horses throughout. And besides dogs, I love to watch horses. Cows are pretty peaceful, too. They're also majestic. As horses jog or gallop, their muscles can be clearly seen and highlight the fact that the horse is extremely strong and majestic. Yet they can be such gentle creatures as well. However, for all their beauty and strength, God does not delight in that strength. And the same is true of the legs of a man, a man who works out can build up his legs to be very strong. They can be used to run, climb, and even lift weights with those legs. Yet the psalmist tells us that God takes no pleasure in a man's legs, regardless of how strong that man's leg might become through exercise. But why does God seem to dismiss these things? Well, I believe it is because God made horses and man's legs for a specific purpose. So why would he be impressed with his own creative work? Certainly he would call his original creation good, thereby putting his stamp of approval on it. However, to be impressed with what he created as though he somehow was surprised or surprised himself is not something that God entertains. As long as what he created does what it was created to do, then God is able to say it's good. But in verse 11, the psalmist tells us exactly what God does take pleasure in. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Hmm. Why does the Lord take pleasure in those who fear him and in those who hope in his mercy? Simply because those who do this are doing so of their own free will, their own volition. Since humanity fell in Adam and Eve, there's been a struggle between temptation and doing what God wants since then. We do not automatically revere, respect, fear, love, and follow God, nor do we accidentally move toward God in greater fellowship and closeness. It doesn't happen by chance. People who actively choose to fear him and hope in his mercy are the ones who please God and are rewarded with greater faith and knowledge of God. Now, remember, based on previous articles I've written, if you've read any of those, when I say to fear God, I mean to fear offending God. And I believe that's implied in the text. In other words, looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their inner desire to fear offending God was so strong that they really didn't care what Nebuchadnezzar did to them they would not budge. They would not cower or kowtow. They would not do or say anything that might save their own lives that would end up offending God deeply. Had they done that, they would have been telling Nebuchadnezzar that he, the king, was more important than God. It's not something they considered. So it was their fear of offending God that kept them from caving into Nebuchadnezzar's demands. Their fear of offending God overpowered any fear they might have had of dying a horribly painful death in a fiery furnace. It is really the simplest of concepts to understand mentally, yet difficult to put into practice because it takes time, consistency, and perseverance to create that pattern within ourselves. We also need to pray that God will help us to grow in our fear of offending him. I personally don't like it when people define the phrase fear of God to mean, oh, to have deep reverential respect or awe or something similar. While it is that, it includes that, for me, it detracts from the actual concept, reducing it to something rather simple and catchy. In truth, we can respect a person without liking them, certainly without loving them, but we can respect their power, uh, their position. But that's not what this means. To fear offending God is said for a reason. It places God's authority and our love for him above everything else. We either get on board with that as Christians or we end up being wishy-washy in our faith. We all know that when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. And we often sin because we do not view not sinning as a high priority where God is concerned. Sin saddens, grieves, and even angers him. While we all sin, God's graciousness and love for us is always on display. However, we do have an obligation as Christians to not knowingly do things or say things or even entertain thoughts that grieve him. We grieve him when we do say or think the things that offend him. Our love for God should be such that we want to avoid offending him at all costs. Again, this takes time to develop like any other relationship. Think about someone important in your life. You don't want to offend them because you care deeply about them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego clearly feared offending the Lord. That that fear was such that it made them think nothing of losing their own lives for the God they loved and worshiped. Now, the more we endeavor to serve God out of a fear of offending Him, the greater our fear of offending Him will become. It's a cycle, an increasing cycle. The greater the fear of offending Him, the easier it becomes to make and do the right decisions that please and glorify Him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did it right because their entire lives were dedicated to living in a way that prompted them to avoid offending God at all costs. That was paramount for them and for Daniel. This desire to not offend God grew within them a very healthy, active, and palpable fear of offending God so that their decisions became almost automatic in doing what was right without hesitation. A healthy fear of offending God leads to a lifelong practice of living rightly and therefore pleasing God in the here and now. I believe this fear of offending God can exist within each of us, but it depends on how badly we want to cultivate that fear of offending God. It's a decision we will need to make, sometimes many times throughout the day, each day, until it becomes habit. And I think this is especially true of the times in which we live today. With the way the world is going, It's more important than anything that our lives are anchored in God and His truth and in His righteousness. And the only way I believe to thoroughly accomplish that in reality where the rubber meets the road is through an increasing fear of offending Him. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. And I do thank you. And uh, I pray that until we meet again. God would open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical conservative perspective.